welcome to Open School of Business. Today, I have a pleasure to introduce you to Howard Hughes, uh, my longtime mentor. We worked together. He was such a, a great colleague um, and a boss. Uh, and a lot of things that I know about project management, frankly, came from Howard. So today, uh, I'm very happy to see uh, his career in corporate uh, for 20 years uh, has transitioned into his um, own business in farming, uh, and he's been doing that for 10 years. So today uh, he will tell us all about it, how he transitioned and how he's growing this new business. Hi, Howard. Welcome. Hi, Anna. Thank you very much. It's lovely to see you again after all these years. So uh, it's a very kind welcome. Um, very nice to think that I've had some impact on people in my in my lifetime pre uh, pre farming. So I really appreciate that introduction. Yes, uh, I mean, of course, because I can see from uh, your profile, like even before uh, I met you, uh, you've had so many different experiences and degrees in everything from IT to marketing to uh, project management, business and communications. Therefore, I'm not surprised that you're leading uh, a very successful business today. But I know that um, starting a business is always very difficult. So my first question would be like, okay, what was the challenge when you uh, started uh, something completely new? Well, a, a great many years ago, uh, there was a risk of me becoming an eternal student, which is why I do have a few degrees and masters and such like. But um, what I did was um, many years ago, I always wanted a job that was outside. Um, farming was always my passion. Working with the land was always my passion. But um, Getting into farming from scratch is very, very, very difficult. Um, the finances are prohibitive, the knowledge, the introductions, everything is prohibitive. So I decided at a relatively young age, I needed to go out and get what I considered to, or what I call a real job. So um, I went into project management, IT, worked in finance, but I was generally fixing other people's problems, hence the project manager. Um, I know that within myself, I, I like short-term assignments. So um, a project, for example, has a start and a finish and a middle, and you know where you are. And that suits my personality down to the ground. Being a long-term career person uh, and just being within the confines of an organization and just staying at the same job would never, ever going to suit me. So I like the change. And eventually I found this job called a project manager and I could stay within an organization, get some consistency, but change essentially my job or, or what I was doing quite frequently. And that's why I ended up being quite good at project management, which is where we met. But the reason I went into a career uh, initially was to earn the money um, and get the experience to then go back into farming, which was my first love. Um, my father was in horticulture. Um, when I was at university, I would work on hop farms, fruit farms, vegetable farms all around the southeast of the UK, which is where I'm from. And my, my thought was to earn enough money to, to one day be able to afford a farm of my own. With that, um, my salary went sort of like that. Land prices went like that. And so my, my expectation of my big, big farm had to come down a bit. Um, and Obviously, the older you get, uh, you think 
can, am I still got the energy to work on a farm? And in my 40s, the urge to get out of a corporate environment was growing and growing. Um, I remember the birth of my daughter and the birth of my son. Uh, and I hate to say it, I was tied to my mobile phone uh, for much of that period of time. And I remember getting a telephone call because I'd forgotten to turn my work phone off during the birth of my son. And I thought, this is it. I am now doing the wrong thing. I've lost my desire and passion for this particular career. We need to have family. So um, soon after the birth of my son, um, and I kept missing my daughter. I was up at 3 a.m. in the morning. I'd travel to work. I'd go to six countries a week, fly back again. And you know, I was absent, essentially, absent. And I didn't want to be that sort of father. Yes, I was earning money, which is a good a good thing, but it's not everything. Um, so uh, we started hunting for a farm. And we were driving down to a friend's christening in the southwest of the UK. And whilst we were driving, uh, my wife and I were driving, we had some sort of laptop or something and we had linked in with our phones and we were looking at properties. And we, we, were look, we had been looking at properties back in Australia, which is where we lived for a little while. We were looking at properties in, in Italy and in France, but because of our parents, both in the UK, we decided to have a look in the Southwest and, some, and this one popped up, this one that I'm in now. And I thought to myself, why have we been looking at holiday accommodation? This, uh, where we were gonna buy a holiday place and then I would do some small holding within the holiday place and a bit of coaching and a bit of this and a bit of that. And I decided that I'd just end up being a maintenance man rather than having any real purpose. This place came up. This place has um, uh, a cider orchard and grows trees. This place here, driving past apples. I used to grow apples when I was in Kent. I know how to do that. This has got a cider orchard. Out of that window there, my view these days is of an orchard. Out of that window there, my view is south across rolling hills. Anyway, and then it's apples, it's also trees. I've been managing woodland for years and years and years. It's never anything that's really sort of popped up in conversation at, you know, at work, at you know, places that we work together and such like. But I've had woodland for years. My father um, had woodland and it just sort of came together. So we started talking to the owners of this place and all the agents and everything. It took two years, two years from the moment we saw this to the moment where the accountants, the banks, the owner and myself have finally gone through all the hoops because we bought a business. So it's not, it's not just a matter of buying land and a house. We've actually bought a, a fully fledged business. We must confess that it started going downhill. It, it, had, it had been doing very well in the late 90s, early 2000s. By the time we saw it, we were at the tail end of the credit crunch and it hadn't evolved. Its website, for instance, was a single page a, a document like a like a menu where you could you could identify what you wanted to buy then phone up or write in <laughs> and anyway so yeah we've we've taken that core business very good reputation good name and we've built on it um we still do trees that's our main business uh growing and selling trees so it's all about provenance these these days and native selections and such like which is absolutely phenomenal. Um, 
we also grow trees for biomass and we're one of the only um, suppliers in the country that do it. And we supply um, trees throughout the United Kingdom and into Europe as well. Obviously, since uh, Brexit, that's become more difficult. Um, but you know, given the right size order and the, and the right clients, we, we still do it, but it, there's a lot of paperwork. Um, but more importantly, I can take my children to school and I'm here when they come home. And that's the most important thing. I mean, what's the point doing anything if you're not gonna be present for your family? So um, when we started this chat, my wife went off to go and get uh, my children, which I would normally do, and they'll come back at some point and probably come running in here unless I manage to keep them away for a few minutes. <laughs> but, you know, we, I think that's a dream go... for a lot of people who are tied to the computer and they are not able to go anywhere. Absolutely. Mm. I mean, I, I'm not a great fan of sitting still in front of a computer anymore. Um, my sort of mindset's changed a little bit. I love being outside on the land. I love just being in and around my family. Um, I hate to admit it, but I think I was a stranger to them when they were really little. Um, but now um, my youngest daughter comes running to me. I mean, she's only eight years old. And mm -hmm. she, it used to be everybody would just go to mummy. Um, <laughs> and when the other two were little, they would just go to mummy because I, I was away most of the time. But Imogen, my youngest, she will come to me as often as she will go to mummy, so, which is absolutely lovely. They all hold my hand. We'll, you know, we'll have a kiss goodbye when I drop them to school. We'll have a kiss hello when they come back. And, and that's worth so much more than blocking your guts out uh, to be chasing a phenomenal salary. And don't get me wrong, I do miss having a regular check uh, every month coming in and thinking, you know, that's no problem. Um, but now I'm in control of my own destiny. I um, would never, some of the things I do now, I would never, ever have been able to do when I worked um, in a big corporate. Um, I am, he says, it makes me sound so middle-aged. I'm a parish councillor. I'm on our parish council. I try to do things in the community. I try to bring together the community and give us a, co a, co a cohesive um, set of parishioners. We do things uh, for each other. We also try to do things outside of our community. Also, I'm part of a climate change group within that parish council, and you know we do wildflowers and we do things for children and we do all sorts of things just to try to make our environment better. I am scout leader, so I've joined the scout. <laughs> I love. I, so I, this is this is beavers. This, this is the, 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 the entry level to scouts that a lot of people think, oh no, I can't deal with lots of screaming children. These are just under six through to about eight years old. Mm -hmm. Love it. Absolutely love it. Uh, all my children have gone through that. Um, I think I'm now the only scout leader that doesn't actually have any children in the bit that I look after, but I intend to stay there and carry on doing it. Um, and, and, and it's phenomenal. Um, you asked earlier on about you know, how do you start up? As I said, we, we bought a business and have grown on that. In this environment, in, in today's world, you cannot stay still. You have to keep growing. You have to keep developing. You, you have to keep changing. And this is what I was saying earlier on about years ago, you'd earn money dependent upon your physical prowess, you know, 200 years ago. 
then we had you know, industrial revolution and then computer revolution and it was just you, you got a lot of intellectual prowess but these days it's also about adaptability and your uniqueness so we we couldn't just stay still as a tree nursery growing some cider apples um you you won't be able to see it on the board there but on there we've got um changing the business into cider into juice into apple related products using the orchard as a as a fancy um, uh, venue for camping and events. Also, um, I like um, talking to young people and to people about their businesses and to life change people. And so I do a lot of walking and talking and coaching in the orchard. I'm very, very, very lucky to have that space. And when you're walking with everything around you, your subconscious is kind of freed. And you can work out what you want. And the amount of people that come here, um, uh, you know, campers or, or people that want coaching, and we just go for a walk. And if we're not walking here, we've got some beautiful, beautiful common land um, a mile away up the road. And we'll walk down there and we'll walk across there. And you can walk through a wood and then in, in front of you, see the sea. It's, it's absolutely lovely. So as I say, I, I've, I've sort of, I've changed in that um, I think some of my harder edges from a corporate world have been softened and just getting to know um, some to do with uh, coaching, some to do with mentoring, some to do with psychology. Years ago, I studied psychology as part of a degree um, and I didn't particularly enjoy it. Now it makes sense. And, and this is phenomenal. After, I can't remember how long ago I did the degree, 30 years ago, it now makes sense unbelievable but um what i what i often say to people is my epitaph on my headstone right so when i'm gone i don't want it to say howard hughes brilliant businessman i want it to say howard hughes you know great father great husband those things business it's about the family yeah i can see that you're living your life fully authentically uh, but when you said that, that it took two years to complete the transaction, I was like, oh, my God, I need to know all about those two years, how it worked out, what was necessary. Oh, uh, I think that's the, you know, everybody knows like, OK, I can go and buy, but then it's not just buying. So if you tell us yeah. about how it actually works and what are the things to do, that would be awesome. That was quite, that was a stressful two years. Obviously, I was still in the corporate world and, you know, at best, working a 14-hour day, at worst, working more. Um, when you decide to buy a business, you have to do a lot of due diligence. And um, we had to get consultants in to value the business, to uh, everything from making sure the buildings weren't going to fall down to working out the, the value of goodwill, the brand name, how much was it worth? The stock that was in in the in the nursery fields. How do you value that? Um, and then I'm quite good with accounts and understanding figures and things like that. But there was some there's some terminology I just did not understand whatsoever. Um, and so we had to get an accountant on board, who then liaised with the banks. So we bought this mainly with money that I had earned, but we also decided to take out a commercial loan so that we still had enough
enough operating capital. So you have to be realistic about these things. But in order to get a, a commercial loan from a bank, their due diligence was off the scale. And as I say, there was terminology in there I had never even heard of before. So we had to employ somebody else. Um, and uh, she was the, or is the um, director of a very large accountancy firm around here. And even she was bemused by some of this. And then, of course, the legal sides of it as well. You're buying farmland, but you're also um, buying reputation. So you're buying bricks and mortar, you're buying all the dirt and the grass and the trees and everything, but you're buying the reputation, you're buying a lot of intangible things, again, which then need to be locked in. And my mindset was um, about trying to be quite specific about things, but my legal advice was leave it all open, and then we've got something to argue about in the future. And my, my one piece of advice to anybody that's going to do this in the future is do not listen to that bit of nonsense. Be absolutely specific about it. Um, if you're buying a tractor, make sure it's that tractor. Note the hours, note the miles, note the variety and ev everything about it. Just be absolutely specific about it. The only reason to leave things open-ended and vague is so that the lawyers can come back and charge you more money arguing about what may or may not have existed. Um, so you can waste an awful lot of money. So people embarking on a lifestyle change, um, they may have worked in business for 20, 30 years. They may have a lot of savings behind them. They will race through those savings very, very quickly, thinking that they know a lot of stuff because they've been in business. And I'm referring to myself here, obviously. And you'll waste a lot of money. You'll waste an awful lot of money because they're... people will see we see a, a, a lot of areas where they can gain from, from you. So lawyers and accountants and insurance people and surveyors, etc. And you have to be really careful um, uh, with, with where you're spending money. Um, it, it's very easy to burn through it very, very, very quickly. Um, and, and ultimately, um, that will affect how much cash flow you have within your business. Um, that'll affect how well you can run your business. And once you've stepped out of the corporate arena, everything here that you can see around here needs to be either saving money or generating income. So again, using some of my old corporate hat, you know, it's all about productivity or growth. So up on that board there, that's, that's all about the different projects and where they are within the stage. That's a Kanban board. Um, and it's all productivity and growth. Mm -hmm. The board behind me is all about operations. So whilst I left my suit and my tie and my passport you know, behind some desk somewhere in London or Moscow or Sydney, all of this knowledge is absolutely relevant. Um, what you do find is when you move into a small um, community, um, especially, say, in the southwest, is that um, people will look at you with suspicion. Think that you've come from London. Everybody that moves here, in their eyes, comes from up country, from London, and they're all loaded, and they're taking away jobs and such like from locals. So you have to become invested in the community. It's the only way to survive, and you have to be open and honest. You and you cannot, and God forbid I ever was, because I came from a small community originally, so I kind of understood some of this. You cannot go in and get. I used to be a general manager at uh, such such a large company, and I know everything, <laughs> and you're all peasants. You must not do something like that. Um, 
just because you were very good in marketing in London or Sydney or Moscow or Washington or wherever, it does not mean that you know marketing in a small rural um, uh, environment <coughs> where people don't have 10 or 100 or a million pounds to spend, they might have 100 pounds to spend. And your, your budgets are small and you're dealing with people's lives. If you're dealing with other, other small businesses and, and such like, you're dealing with actual lives. They're trying to save money. They're trying to make money for, directly for their families. It's not like having a, a sickie in a big office and uh, it doesn't really matter. Um, right. it's, you're dealing with real people with authentic lives trying to make their own living. So you have to be honest. Um, and when pushed for, say, margins and such like, um, I know what I can afford to go down to. Yeah? And other people will have a sheet like this for various items. And you might think, oh, I can get that cheaper on Amazon, or I can get this, I can get that. And, you know, why aren't they moving? And it's because... As a small business, you don't have the buying power. What you're doing is you're buying the knowledge. So something might cost, you know, rather than 10 pence, it might cost 12 pence, but you're getting exactly the right product and you're getting all that knowledge and you're getting a bigger network from it. So there are a lot of other things about it than, than, than you know, just the pure financial, which is what we would have been taught in our previous career. Um, in our previous career, uh, one of my pet hates was um, the mantra was, I was told this directly, was a lose, um, a win lose. And if you lost, my win was greater. And that never sat right with me. I always like a win win. And I know that um, if I can, if I can do a good business with somebody that I still make a margin on and they get at a good price, they will be coming back and we have both won. And that is the way to survive in your own business and, 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 and to make your business successful. Yeah. Obviously, as I say, we've got other ways of building our business with diversification of the cider orchard into juice and cider itself. Um, that little sign there, that's our planning permission and, a, and acceptance into uh, you need planning permission to have camping. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, so now we have 10 pitches. Uh, three um, smart cabins and we're hopefully going to get another smart cabin sorted out and that's more of a that's a less of a physical um, um, income stream so I'm not getting any younger I don't want to be lifting dirty great big trees for the rest of my life this this will be an income stream where I'm still meeting people still yeah. talking but I'm not physically exhausted by the end of the day I might be mentally exhausted um, and a lot of those people on, on this one here, they come in for coaching, lifestyle, you know, how to run a rural business, that sort of thing. So it's all, all sort of knitting together a bit. Family, the different elements of the business, but you still have to keep a level head and you still have to make a margin in order to pay for everything. All right. Yes. Um this is amazing uh, how many aspects you just touched on. And th those are all the questions I was going to ask you anyways. Yeah. Like, for example, uh, you know, fitting in into a small neighborhood, a small community that is completely different. Um, how old were your ch children when you moved? 
Was it something uh, they considered um, like, oh, this is uh, different, <laughs> you know, and uh, adapting? Yes. My, my daughter, I think, was three when we moved. And the first thing she said when we opened the car door and got out of the car was, I don't like it, it smells. <laughs> so we'd, we'd gone from Winchester in the UK, which is a very smart, well-to-do town. It considers yeah. itself to be a country town, but it is very smart. It's within commuter uh, distance of London. Yeah. Very affluent, very smart. And it did smell that day. I remember that day. We're in the middle of nowhere. Uh, we have some neighbours not too far away down there, but there are, I don't know, five houses in a little close. The farmers around here spread whatever on the land. It did smell that day. And she didn't like it because it smelled. Um, my son was a little baby. He was probably about 18 months old. Um, no, 20, 21 months old. My youngest daughter, so my wife was pregnant. I bet uh. you didn't know this. When we moved here, Fiona was pregnant. So we moved here in April. Um, there was a delay on moving, which I'll tell you about in a sec. So, uh, but Fiona gave birth to my youngest daughter in August. So for the first few months of this huge change, suddenly we've got no income coming in on a regular basis. We've got people phoning us up and we have to answer questions about things, to be quite honest about, we were still learning and she was pregnant. <laughs> wow. um, Drastic. So, um, yeah, Imogen was born in Exeter Hospital, which is about 15 miles away. She was probably the first child to be born in this hamlet that we're in, probably a thousand years or something ridiculous. Um, and, and so, yeah, we had a lot of life changes going on. Two young children, a, a third born here. Um, and so, except for Maddie saying it smelt. The others don't really rem don't, uh, don't yeah. recall anything else. Uh -huh. I mean, they don't remember any of the visits we made back to. So we, I used to get home visits from work to to Australia, and Maddie and Sebby don't don't remember those whatsoever. Um, Imogen's never been to Australia. Um, yeah, they they've grown up knowing this, and in the future, Maddie's now thirteen. So you know, in a few years' time, she'll be wanting to go out with her friends and whatnot. And we live in a rural place, so I know that I'm going to be running taxi journeys and all that sort of stuff um, in, in order for them to go out and have any fun somewhere. Um, our nearest pub is a mile away, but um, I don't think they'll want to go there necessarily. That's where, you know, that's where my friends go and such like. And it's a very smart French bistro type of pub run by a Frenchman. And it, it's a lovely, lovely, lovely pub, but it's not the place where if you're 18, 19 years old, you want to go and meet your friends. So I will be daddy taxi. But um, yeah, it, it was it was quite interesting moving here. And the, the children were, as I say, young enough to now yeah. they know no better. Um, we've got three children, three separate schools. Oh. So if someone is ever thinking about moving to the countryside, my son's school is a, a mile and a quarter that way. My eldest daughter's school is about four miles that way. And my youngest daughter's school is about three and a half miles that way. So the school run is a bit of a mission in the morning. Mm -hmm. uh, so much so, I've started recording it um, on a <laughs> dash cam. And I've now been putting it on things like Instagram and TikTok. 
So uh, since you run this business as a family, do you have any other business partners? And if you do, how did you build those relationships and manage those? So um, Fiona's my wife. She and I are, the, are so we have two businesses here. Um, lots of sort of, the, the, we have Bohe's Sanctuary, which is where the camping and where the coaching happens. Bohe's Trees, obviously trees. We have a nursery and a coffee shop and we have the cider. It's all owned by um, H and FU's partnership. And then we have Bohe's uh, Limited and the other bits on top of that. Um, so Fiona and I, we're married, we live together and we work together. Some people think we're absolutely nuts and how can we do it? But strangely enough, we met at work back in, oh, I think the late nineties when we both worked for the Prudential. Um, so we have worked together on and off since the late 90s. Um, and she is, we, we kind of jokingly say she's in charge of everything inside, so marketing, finance, all that sort of stuff. And I'm in charge of everything outside, um, so planting and, and playing in tractors and things like that. <laughs> and the reality is we, we both look after everything. In terms of other business partners in our business, we, we don't have any other owners as such, but we, we do. So the lady that uh, supplies us our coffee for the coffee shop, so we formed a relationship with her. She's wonderful. Um, she roasts coffee three miles away. Uh, both coffee. Her name is Lamise. She came from South Africa. We've met her. We've met her son. We've met her mother. And she's lovely. We've offered her space here should she ever want to move her business here. And we work together with her to create a nice offering in terms of the coffee. She's trained us both to be baristas, something I never thought I'd be doing when I was, you know, running billion pound projects and all that sort of nonsense. Um, we work together very closely with um, obviously landscapers. We have our preferred landscapers and uh, things like if I can't go and do someone's planting, then we give them the jobs and vice versa. So we, we sort of, knit ourselves into the local community um and and i don't know if you heard that in the background it wasn't me that was my dog so my dog's just down here and she just yawned oh not very appreciative okay. um but um it, it's about finding the right people and is that what i was saying before they're all small businesses mm. and so they all need to make money they all need to look after their families but they're all we find people sounds a bit silly find lovely people that we like doing business with and hopefully they like us and then i think be, between us that bond is greater than just the two individuals you know if lumise wanted a hand with anything i would give her a hand and so would fiona and vice versa we had an opening event here um, to show off our new whatever it was and lumise came down and did all the copies um, and, and, you know, we, we would reciprocate in the same way. Um, so we, as I say, we don't have any other ownership, but we have, um, partners in terms of what we deliver. All right. Right. You're, um, getting community members to help out and building a whole infrastructure around, uh, your business is, is really awesome. And also since so far away from, home you're getting like 
relationships like you would have at home, like with your neighbors and just community members. So it's just wonderful. Um, and in terms of skill set, uh, how uh, does your wife's skill set vary from you? So where do you sort of like collide and where do you have things that are complementing each other? So that's a really interesting question. My wife, um, she was she was the data analytics person. Mm -hmm. uh, so whereas I might have always been, you know, strategy, projects, that sort of thing, and making sure that things were traveling in the right direction, she's always a lot more detailed than me. Um, she's, she's also worked in um, uh, agency. So she did the, the analytics um, for marketing. And she, she's also had her own business as well. Uh, prior to this, she had a, a lovely, lovely, lovely company called The Nice Company. And they did all the marketing. They selected um, beautiful things. So she's got a fantastic eye for detail. Um, she has recently, with the help of the lady that looks after our man at, uh, marketing, redesigned all of our, um, uh, our website and offering. And then uh, with between Fiona, myself, and Kerry's the lady that does our marketing, we then, if you like, delved back into our IT world and looked at the integration. We, we ended up something like six or seven different systems all crossing over too much. So we're now, now bringing that back as well. So I think it all complements each other very well. Mm -hmm. um, we do find that there are some areas we might both be, say, um, if we've got a difficult HR conversation to have, neither of us like doing that. <laughs> and that's where we will then sometimes have to find somebody to coach us to be brave enough to have those difficult conversations. And very often we'll try to do that together. And, th and that's where we have a gap in our, in our, um, our skill sets. And I, I think that if people are making a lifestyle change, you can't be everything. Um, and you must realize that with your partner, you, you'll be overlapping in some areas, conflicting in others, super complementary in others, and have no visibility of other areas. I mean, it sounds like you do have um, a good system working. And uh, <clears throat> um, of course, having that understanding and support each other is very important and enjoyable to work I'm sure like you're just living instead of working in that sense because you have to interact mm -hmm. with your wife and it's always more pleasurable and you know than mm -hmm. maybe some difficult clients or uh, or some compliance uh, related agencies and stuff so um, my other question is when you bought the place did you also um, did the place already have employees did you inherit some employees that you had to employ okay. yes and um, that was that was quite difficult um, so we, we, we when we bought the business uh, there were quite a lot of people so when we were looking around there were quite a lot of people around and um, we found that they were all um, subcontractors. <coughs> there weren't any employees as such. Um, and we were under the impression that they had all been told that we were buying this business and that their jobs were safe. And you know, we'd like to meet them all and we'd all like to continue and et cetera, et cetera. 
reality was we bought this place and wondered where everybody had gone. Um, so we started yeah. phoning them up and we found out that they hadn't been told that we were buying. Uh, they, they clearly thought that something was going up uh, and they thought that somebody might have just been buying this to be a family house or something like that. Not a single person knew that we needed them, not just wanted them, needed them to be here. We were entering a new business. We didn't know where anything was, you know. Uh, we'd all obviously organised with the previous owner for him to be, or both him and his wife to be around. Uh, I think it was for three months, but spread over the course of um, six months, something like that. Um, and but we needed the the other people who had all the expertise of actually doing stuff as well. So we um, we managed to get all of their details, phoned them all up, and invited them all in. And one of the one of the oddest things was so we didn't have this office <coughs> at the time. Uh, the office was in the house, but we invited them into the kitchen, into the farmhouse kitchen. One of them came through the door and said, "I've been here for fifteen years. I've never been inside the house." But and every single one of them um, didn't know whether or not they still had the job. <coughs> Excuse me. And they were so relieved when we said, "You know, we need you." <laughs> um so we we inherited a lot of people we got them all in and after two seasons um they were trying to modernize things and you could see <coughs> the change and the stress that it could cause people because they'd done things for 15 years in a particular way but the cost of labor is so expensive and within our industry what we were producing started to be produced elsewhere so our uniqueness was being whittled away and um, one item for example uh, when we first got here cost say 60 pounds plus shipping these days it's more like 12 pounds plus shipping and so if you're spending um, I don't know, 100 pounds a day on producing 50 pounds worth of goods it's just not worth it so at some point we needed to have a really difficult conversation. These people had obviously trained us, kept us going and everything, but we needed to change the way that they work. Some of them were adaptable to that, some of them weren't. So we could feel one of these awkward conversations coming on. You could, you could see it actually in the figures. You're paying, I don't know, 10,000 pounds for some labor and producing about 2,000 pounds worth of goods. Um, and so Fiona and I were quite, worried and quite adverse to having these difficult conversations with what we saw as our family, our extended family. Um, so we got some coaching on that. Um, and I, I came up with the idea of setting targets just to see how bad it really was. And so I'd ask them to produce, say, 100 of an item a day and, you know, get, say, 25. Um, and by the end of the week, we might have had a hundred of these. And it was just not financially viable to employ all of these businesses. So I had to stop that line of business that we were in, which meant that essentially that stopped their jobs. But we continued trading. It was the only way to do it. You can't, you can't be a charity. Um, so obviously, we didn't just say switch off on a day. We, we, we sort of rolled it out a bit um and gave them the opportunity but um i was then told by somebody uh that one of the conversations um when we weren't around was that it's really difficult to go slow 
And you find out things like that, and we'd considered them to be family, and we were expecting that back, probably naively. Um, and, and actually, they they were plodding along on purpose and not going, uh, you know, not going at a commercially viable pace. So it was the right thing to do to 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 sort of end all of those roles and to cut that product line. But it was very difficult. So they kept us going for a couple of years, taught us a lot of stuff, showed us through which we could then see we had to change and had to become more competitive, uh, find more productivity savings and grow our product range. Mm -hmm. But they were the wrong people to take us beyond that point. They got us, they got us to that point and kind of forced a strategic decision. Um, and it was very sad to say goodbye to them all. But mm -hmm. um, unfortunately, it was necessary. All right, of course. Uh, when you evolve, you want partners who are evolving with you. All together now, how many people do you have? Um, oh, uh, I should really know this, shouldn't I? <laughs> um, I think we've got seven people now. All right, awesome. I think it's it's we, really great uh, that you oh, don't have eight, that many people because when I, I see your website, eight. yeah, yeah, eight. Mm. Eight, yeah. so you were saying about our website yeah because uh, when I see uh, and I love the uh, the branding and everything your wife did a really great job with that um, it just looks so great and the variety of things you can buy from you it just makes me feel like oh you must be having like 100 people working for you and that means you're really efficient and productive you know employing eight people and having such a great selection of things um, and diversified and, and just all these different tree types. I learned a lot of things from your website just about uh, what is available and, and, and things. So I wonder what um, usually, uh, what kind of clients do come to you? Do they come physically or do they just order and you ship it out? How does this uh, whole thing work with the clients so, so yes to everything um so we have when we first got here the area about 100 and something meters down there was just our farmyard i've smartened all that up put in irrigation borehole lines of trees and whatnot built a coffee shop and a deck so now we have a fully fledged nursery but we specialize in trees and shrubs we don't have um barbecues and chairs and mugs and all that sort of business we, we are a, spe a specialist tree nursery. And I like to tell people that, you know, if they look at my fingernails compared with somebody else in a different garden center, they'll all have clean fingernails. Mine are always dirty because I have my hands in the mud. So we've, we've built all of this. And, um, and, 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 and so our clients will come in down there and they'll come and see us down there. So we'll come and see them in person. I'll do design for them. I'll chat to them about plants in different um, places and all that sort of stuff. We also get a lot of telephone calls from all across the country, or we just get people that see us online, order online. Yeah, I, I was wondering, uh, what's the profile of the clients? Like, are they just uh, people who want to have some trees in their backyard, or these are farms and they have specific um, reasons? We will deal with um, county councils, uh, wildlife trusts. If you wanted a tree and you came in, uh, I'd make you a coffee 
choose a tree with you, help you choose a tree. So it's everybody that wants a plant for their garden through to somebody that is trying to rewild a huge area. Um, and so one person might buy a single tree, somebody else might buy tens of thousands of trees. Um, so you know, a, a sale might be 50 pounds, it might be 50,000 um, pounds. Mm. The way we generally, I, I need to differentiate sometimes. Um, so I might spend 45 minutes or an hour talking to somebody about a tree that's worth 25 pounds. I might spend 45 minutes to an hour talking about somebody that might be uh, rewilding a thousand acres. Um, uh, yeah. One of them's going to give us quite a lot of margin. The other one might give us enough margin to pay for a coffee. Um, but we, the way that we deal with people is generally consistent. So I think that both of those individuals, the one with the estate and the one with the garden, are both valuable individuals. One of them spending a lot of money now. The other one might tell all, all their neighbours. Yeah? Right. Um, and we operate differently from a lot of other nurseries or garden centers. So if you came to me and you said, I want an oak tree, I might just ask you a couple of little questions about that. And what you generally find is that people don't really know what they want. They of have course. an idea of what they want. <laughs> so it's, it's about finding the drivers and the objectives. Mm -hmm. So they might have an oak, they might want an oak tree, but their garden might only be say five meters square. And that oak tree is going to cause an awful lot of problems in years and years to come. Um, so we approach it differently. We, we, we talk about the outcomes, we talk about the drivers, we talk about the rationale for things, and then we help somebody decide. If somebody's absolutely adamant they want an oak tree, I would still sell them an oak tree. But we generally try to give a bit of advice as well. Whereas a lot of other places, they don't operate like that. But I think that that's due to my corporate background where you're generally trying to find out what sort of outcome is driving mm. a project to make sure that you're delivering something that gives the, 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 the required outcome. Um, so I'm often having conversations like that. Wow. Um, I, yeah. I think a lot of people are quite surprised that I won't be necessarily off the bat asking them about what sort of soil they have. Mm. I ask them about other things. Um, right. Uh, yeah. Dare I say, in this country, a lot of people, I'd say 60% of our sales are to hide someone else. So someone won't like a view. That, that's that's one, of the, one of the strangest things. People, would, they won't like a solar farm, so they'll plant a lot of trees. Or they won't like their neighbor's windows, so they plant more trees. Um, sometimes I don't think the, the UK is a very gregarious place. But I can understand about having your own sense of privacy. I mean, you know, we're all taught from a young age, you know, being raised in the UK that, quote, an English man's home is his castle. So you're trying to, like, make it your little fortress. But I think sometimes it's quite nice just to see what's happening on the other side of the wall. <laughs> well, you don't have those closed windows in your area, so <laughs> you might no. have forgotten how it is like to be staring to your neighbor's bathroom window or something. <laughs> if people's lives are so boring that they find interest in just watching me brushing my teeth, then so be it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, this is great. Uh, I've learned so much from you today about this business and in general, the lifestyle change business, because 
it's just like a story from a um you know there are a lot of uh, uh especially christmas time uh, some movies come out about corporate people going into the village and going back to the roots where the brand started or something there are a couple of movies like that i'll i'll send you some links but i think it's just amazing to see the story in real life and how you're dealing with it, how you uh, went through that learning curve and completely adapted to that new environment for you. And you're bringing all those great innovations and insights from corporate uh, to, um, to the community, um, to your business, but also not losing that authenticity uh, that connection, the ties, actually the whole reason why you moved just so that you can be close to your family, uh, very much involved with the community and just living life authentically. It's just super, super amazing. And I'm so happy for you. I, I'd love to visit. I'm actually planning a trip uh, to London in April. So maybe I'll uh, I'll drive yes. a little bit. How far is it? from London um so to drive down from London would take you it depends what part of London but maybe two and a half hours or so hmm. maybe three hours yeah um and no definitely come uh more we'd love to have you here so, yeah uh, and I would um, love to uh, also remind our audience that uh you do coaching uh online as well so that you know you don't really have to go fly to London and do three hours. <laughs> if you need some kind of coaching in lifestyle change business in rural areas and farming, uh, just uh, shoot an email to Howard and uh, he's right there on Zoom. So I'm, I'm, I'm sure that uh, you're going to find a lot of benefit from that because uh, Howard has always been a great mentor. It is important to recognize though, it isn't just me. So a large part of the driving force, at least half of the driving force is my wife. Um, <clears throat> and um, he's, whilst I like chatting and going out and you know doing a bit of coaching, this and that and the other, she really is the brains. Um, and if I've ever I've got a question or something that's that's not sitting right with me, I do two things. One is I always sleep on it. And secondly, I always ask Fiona because she is my conscience. She is the one that will give me the alternative view. And she is the driving force. And, and whilst all of this sounds idyllic and lovely, it is blooming hard work, really hard work. Um, but it's enjoyable. And it's my hard work, not someone else's, if, if that makes sense. I'm not, I'm not, just a slave to yet another project that I'll be revisiting in five years time and changing yet again, you know, for, for big corporate. It is really hard work, but it's lovely. Um, but I do think that Fiona takes a lot of the credit.